It's time to play like a jet with your host, Scott Mason. Play like a jet. What does that mean? Drops the throw, steps up, floats a bomb up the right seam, looking for Anderson. He's got it. They're not going to catch him. He's going to go the distance. Touchdown. Sam Darnold dials it up to Robbie Anderson. 92 yards. Bell into the middle of that line, and it's a touchdown. Big return for Crowder, 85 yards. Pass thrown, there was contact with the quarterback, and it's incomplete. They got pressure on Prescott. It was Adams who came blitzing in. He'll hit immediately when he got the handoff. You know that's <laughs> the Q-inator. Oh, my gosh. Listen, thank you. From the TOJ Digital Studios, this is Play Like a Jet. My name is Scott Mason. You can follow me on Twitter at PlayLikeAJet1. And I'm joined for part two of the mailbag by the owner, the operator, the lead reporter, the whole shebang over at JetsInsider.com. And of course, above all that, a very big deal, Mr. Chris Nimbly. And from Coast to Coast Scouting, Mr. Clayton Smarslock. So let's jump right back into the mailbag. Next question comes in from Daniel M2K2020. He says, Todd McShay recently had the Jets picking Jerry Judy at 11. Should we put a lot of stock into this given McShay's relationship with Joe Douglas? So this is interesting because it plays into what we were talking about when we discussed what happened with CeeDee Lamb and the report from Matt Miller and the earlier reports that the Jets love Henry Ruggs because if you're saying what you just said, which is that you're reading into this because of Todd McShay's relationship with Joe Douglas, we know that other teams probably are too. So think about this. It's a three-pronged approach now. You've got them putting out there how much work they did with Henry Ruggs. Now Matt Miller's reporting that CeeDee Lamb is the Jets' number one receiver. And here you have McShay, who everybody knows has ties to Joe Douglas, having Jerry Judy go in his mock draft at number 11 to the Jets. So it seems to me... Like, there's a lot of smoke screens going on. I think if you know Joe Douglas and the way that he operates, and if you know what he likes to do and what he said he wants to do in terms of how he's going to build this team, it's still going to be a tackle at number 11 if one is available. If one isn't, then maybe we see a trade down or something. But I would be very surprised if it's a receiver at 11 unless there's some sort of extenuating circumstance. But like I said, I think Jerry Judy popping up as number 11 in this mock draft for McShay just shows that Joe Douglas and his staff are trying to triangulate in terms of getting out smoke screens. And it's a smart move. There's really nothing to lose on their end there, right, Clay? Yeah, I mean, you got it right there. I mean, Todd McShay, obviously, he went to school with Joe Douglas. They're really good friends. He almost joined the front office when Joe Douglas first got hired. But we mentioned this before. Who does this benefit? This benefits the Jets. And I'm sure McShay is trying to help his buddy out and say that he's going to take a receiver just so the team wants to jump in front. But And then that's when, like, the reverse psychology comes into it. Like, sometimes you have to think, like, Oh wait, is he is he doing this to do that, or is he actually doing this because he really want he actually wants a receiver? Like that that's where these these front offices just get in their own heads, and that's why you can never believe anything you see, uh, especially during this time of the year, unless it's coming out of the Giants front office because you just know whatever they say they're going to take. <laughs> but in terms of this, like it, it's I think it's pretty safe to say that like McShay is just helping out his friend, but it's also it's not like he's putting like 
I don't know, Cesar Ruiz there or something. Like he's putting a, something that's like a realistic possibility. They do need receivers, so he's not like hurting his own cause, but he's also trying to help out his friend. This seems to me to be a case, like Clayton said, of all of the information converging to benefit the Jets. And that, as a reporter, Chris, I'm sure, is what the alarm bells are saying in your head, right? Yeah, I mean, look, Tyne McShay does how many mock drafts every year, so it's it's completely possible that just of his own volition, he was like, hey, I'm just going to put uh, Jerry Judy here. But if, you're, if there is... Uh, if part of the reason why he used that, uh, made that pick is because he talked to Joe Douglas or uh, there was some type of communication, then it's because Joe Douglas w- was having him do the legwork for him. Go ahead and get this out there, get people thinking we're thinking receiver. And then, like you mentioned, the fact that they there was the rugs talk last week and now is happening with CD Lamb talk. The idea that we're talking about the top three guys and trying to figure out which one the Jets like the most, that sounds super smokescreeny. Like, like okay, focus on or trying to figure out which one of the wide receivers they like the most while they're really trying to worry about just trying to get one of these offensive linemen to fall to them. Um, if there's any Joe Douglas influence be in between um, Todd McShay's selection of Jerry Judy there – it's because he's doing the work for Joe Douglas there. That's that's it. It's not Joe Douglas didn't call Todd McShay up and say, "Hey, old buddy, old pal, uh, I I'm gonna let you know. I know I know it's your job to talk about the draft and where and try to predict, but I'm gonna that's that didn't happen. There's there's just no way that happened. Next question comes in from Rory. He says. Could you see Joe Douglas trading a fourth or fifth round pick to the Jaguars to jump ahead of the Browns if, say, Werfs or Wills are still on the board? Well, obviously, this depends on who Joe Douglas likes because he might like Beckton or Thomas more. We have no idea what his board looks like. But I do think there's at least a chance they would go up to nine if they felt like one of the tackles they really liked was still available at nine and they were afraid the Browns would take him, especially if three of the four guys were gone and they knew that they weren't going to have a crack at one of the top four unless they jumped the Browns. Now, I think the price is going to be a third-round pick. I think it's going to be more than a fourth or a fifth to jump up those two spots, especially when you're talking about that high in the draft. But do I think it's possible? Yes. I'm sure Joe Douglas doesn't want to do that. But if he feels like he's backed into a corner, I wouldn't be 100% shocked because Clayton, as you said, you've got to build this line at all costs. And if Joe Douglas has these tackles ranked anywhere near the way that a lot of other people do, he's going to want one of those four tackles and not chance going into the second round and hoping that one of those second-tier guys falls to him, right? Yeah, I mean, for the question itself, uh, I I think... uh, you kind of took the words out of my mouth. I think it would take a third-round pick to move up to nine. Um, but I also wouldn't even be shocked if he tried to make a move up to seven with the Panthers. Um, if, if he just costs a three and a, like and a five, uh, I think that's something he can look into if he likes one of these first few guys, which I think by all accounts, like I, I think it's pretty safe to assume that those will be the top two guys on his board. Um, but – I also wouldn't be shocked if he really liked Beckton and just wanted to stand pat and just hope that he falls or Thomas or 
<laughs> honestly, I wouldn't be shocked if he if he really liked Josh Jones. Uh, I, we, I know Scott, me and you were texting about this the other day. Like he's very similar to Andre Dillard, and Joe Douglas was a big advocate to draft Andre Dillard last year. I, I, if I'm not mistaken, I believe they traded up to draft him last year. Mm-hmm. So I, I believe that. I, I, do I think it's possible he trades up? Yes. Do I think he will do it? No, because I, I, I'm sure he knows this team has so many more things than just offensive line. And if he thinks those tackles are are close enough to Worfs and Wills, they might just stand pat and hope that one of them fall uh, fall to them at, at 11. Chris, I'm guessing that you're with Clayton and I in the sense that you think that Joe Douglas's natural inclination would not be to trade up. If anything, he'd be more likely to trade down. But if there's a scenario where there's one of those tackles that he really wants and he knows he's going to lose him to Cleveland, jumping up from 11 to 9 might not be out of the realm of possibility. Yeah, and the, you know, Rory, the question he asked, he added at a fourth or a fifth, if, if all it's going to take to jump up from 11 to 9 in that scenario is a fifth-round pick, then, yeah, I don't think Joe Douglas would hesitate if that's, if he wants to make sure he gets his guy. Um, and maybe he'd be willing to do it for a fourth. A third is where I'm like, yeah, I just don't see him doing that. Now, maybe, depending on who Jacksonville wants, maybe they're saying, okay, you know, maybe they want I'm just, uh, you know, a defensive player and they think that uh, – Cleveland is going to go and take another offensive lineman. So they can drop back from nine to 11 and still get the guy they want. And all right, if we just, if the best we can settle for is an extra fourth round pick, it's still worth it for us. Um, So maybe that scenario would play out, but that's, that still seems unlikely. Uh, And in order for it to happen, I would think it would need to be a third. And I, I just think that would be too rich for Joe Douglas's blood. Um, and again, the fourth is on the line there. So I think at, in, in that scenario that he'd probably just sit pat and wait to see. But it, I wouldn't rule it completely out. Um, it just it all depends on, like you said, on how he has these guys graded and which ones go off the board first and who are still available. Next question comes in from Young Clemenza. He says, would you take a flyer on Dre Kirkpatrick? Depends on the price. He's 30 years old. His play's been slipping. There's a reason why he was released. If you could get him on a reasonably cheap one-year deal, why not? This secondary is far from locked in at the cornerback position. Even Pierre Desir has a lot of questions to answer. That's why he signed a quote-unquote prove-it deal one year with a max value of $5.5 million. So if Drake Kirkpatrick doesn't really get any offers and you're able to get him super cheap, sure, why not? Otherwise, probably not. Right, Chris? Yeah, I mean, if you're that, – that move depends on how you're looking at it. If, if you're looking at it as take a flyer on him, sure. Sure, why not? Go ahead. They need, they need more bodies there. And, you know, Daryl Roberts and, and what they've been having – yeah, he's probably an improvement there. Um, but if you're if you're making the move with any type of okay, now this will will be set here, then that's that's just not going to be the case. So if you if they wanted to go ahead and send him, give him a little bit of money, and then wait and see how the the draft plays out, and then hope that they get somebody, and then he could supplant them, then cool. 
Um, you know, hope that Blessing Austin or Pierre Desir are good enough, then fine. But you're not going to be wasting a bunch of money. Um, so if it's for depth purposes, I'd be all right with it. But if you're expecting anything out of it, then that's that's probably going to be a uh, blow up in your face. Clayton, Brian Poole is slated as the slot corner. He's going to start there. Beyond that, you got Pierre Desir, who was hurt last year and didn't play that well. You assume he's going to be one of the starters. And then you've also got... Blessing Austin, who played fairly well for six games, but did end up getting benched, and he has had major injury problems. And Arthur Millette, who had a couple of decent games, but he's no proven commodity by any stretch. So I think you'd probably agree with me, and Chris for that matter, that if they can add Drake Kirkpatrick on a one-year deal for cheap, why not? But if it's anything more than that, move along, right? Yeah, I mean, you're not building around a guy like Drake Kirkpatrick. Uh, so if it was on a one-year deal, I wouldn't be like disappointed. I, I, I would like having another body there considering how many injuries they had there last year. But actually, if you're talking about getting another body in there, I would go with a different Bengal cornerback in Darquez uh, Denard. His deal with, I forget which, I think I want to say it was the Jaguars, fell through. So he's back on the open market. So if you're going for another body, I'd, I'd rather go with him. I actually liked him coming out of the draft. Uh, I believe it was 2016, same year as Darren Lee. So I, I would take a chance on him um, rather than Jake or Patrick, but either one would work with me because you just need as many bodies as possible, and you know that they can play in the NFL. Next question comes in from Mike Kant. <laughs> he says, as Darrell heads into year number three, if the Jets continue to not see a marked improvement, at what point do they consider that maybe Darnold's not who they thought he was? Do they point at the coaching staff for lack of development? Would it be a leadership issue of not providing him with the right talent and weapons around him to succeed? This is a tough one. If Darnold goes into year number three and has a year along the lines of what he had in year number two and there's no major jump, no major improvement, at that point, yeah, you've got to start asking questions. You have to look at the tape. Is it Darnold's fault? Is it the coaching staff's fault? Did they not do enough to surround him with weapons? My guess is that if that happens, it's probably some combination of the three. We've seen Darnold's talent. We've seen what he can do when he's given time. We've seen what he can do when he's healthy. Now the question becomes, what can he do if they help him with better weapons and better protection? But... Will that question actually be answered? Because it's up to Joe Douglas to do that in this draft. He put a lot of pressure on himself by allowing Robbie Anderson to go and by not making major upgrades to the offensive line. As Chris and I have talked about, I think the offensive line is marginally better than last year. But as of now, it's not like they've made some sort of seismic jump. They're still probably a bottom five to seven offensive line. So you'd have to look at the tape if this happens and determine what's on who, but I would think that if that scenario happens, it's probably a combination of the coaching, the lack of weapons, and some of it would be on Sam Darnold himself, and maybe there's something there in terms of why he's not growing. Is that a fair assessment, Chris? You think that's probably how we would have to look at this if that scenario happens, which we all hope doesn't? Yeah, absolutely. Um, if Regardless of how and why it happens. If if Sam Darnold's season plays out similar to last season, of course, except the the mono part. If the if the games he plays, it turns out and looks similar to what he did last year, 
the the calls that Darnold's a bust there that then they can't win with Darnold going forward. That's going to grow no matter what the reason is. And we can sit here and uh, you know have to talk about the same stuff. Uh, Adam Gase, the poor offensive line, not enough weapons, has no run game to help them out. All those excuses, while they could still remain valid, just as valid, people are going to be less and less likely to give them the benefit of the doubt for those things, no matter what. Now, it's not like I I can't imagine a scenario where after next season, Darnold was so bad that the Jets are like, we have to cut our losses and move on now. I can't imagine that's the situation. But those calls that, that you have to start thinking past Darnold and all that, that, that's just going to grow. And it doesn't matter the reason behind it. And it, 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 if year three and you're still not producing, people aren't going to, they're going to say, I don't care about the, what the reason is. You, you need to overcome it. And that's just how the NFL works. And if that if that's how it plays out, we're going to be discussing this more and more, and those calls are going to get louder and louder. All the more reason that Joe Douglas really needs to hit on some offensive players in this draft, right, Clayton? Yeah, I mean, I I think it's a mixture of every party in this, um, especially on coaching and general manager. So if you go back to the uh, Todd Bowles and McCagan, who drafted him, and McCagan did very little to help him out. He didn't do much at all. The draft, nothing. The uh, in free agency, and he brought in Le'Veon Bell. Yeah, but then you bring in Adam Gase, and he doesn't want to use Adam uh, Le'Veon Bell. So it, it, no one's just helping him out. And then in terms of Joe Douglas, like his job is not done. Like he's had a half of a, a half of an off season, um, and still hasn't gotten the team that he wants to bring into. Uh, form part, but if he fails to hit on off of the tackle and fails to hit on weapons, whether receiver, <laughs> running back, tight end, whatever they want to go after, it's going to be a mixture of all everyone involved. I still believe in Darnold the player, but I'm not. I, I'm not like blinded by the fact that it's possible he just doesn't get much better. And it's it, it is possible. I don't think that'll be the case. I do think he is a good player, and as, as he matures, I think he'll get even better. So I, I I don't think they'll get to the point where he'll be heading into year four and like, all right, we, we have to figure something out. We have to bring in another guy like a Nick Foles or someone to compete. I, I think they will go four years, give him all four years, whether it's with Adam Gates or Eric Bieniemy or whoever it may be in year four. I think they're going to do whatever it takes to make sure that he works before they have to actually come to a decision and be like, okay, let's, let's move on. Let's start over. While sports can bring us so much joy, it can also bring us a lot of unwanted stress. And that stress can make it difficult to concentrate, relax, and get decent sleep. Sunday Scaries was launched in 2017 by two best friends and business partners, Bo Schmidt and Mike Sill. They operated a full-service bar with 50 employees and were always exhausted. They tried all kinds of products, but they didn't work. Then they started experimenting with CBD. They loved the effects and regained control of their days and nights, but they wanted better CBD products. So what they did for themselves was specially formulate CBD gummies with vitamins D3 and B12 that were super consumable, easy to take on the go, and effective. 
Long story short, their specially formulated CBD products and vitamins helped relieve the overwhelming angst they felt on a daily basis. So in July 2017, they named the company Sunday Scaries and began sharing their products with friends and launched their online store at sundayscaries.com. With tens of thousands of customers, monthly subscribers, and a 100% money-back guarantee, Sunday Scaries has always been on a mission to transform a worrisome nation into a chill one. And right now, we have a bonus for you. Get 25% off all products at sundayscaries.com when you use the code OVERTIME. Again, 25% off all products at sundayscaries.com when you use the code OVERTIME. Hey guys, Greg Peterson here with the Baseball Betting Podcast. As we know, the MLB season is back in our lives. It's going to be a 60-game sprint unlike anything that we've ever seen before. And I'm going to be giving you picks every single day, seven days a week with Major League Baseball. We're also going to be keeping up with the KBO as well. If you like baseball and you like being able to make some money, subscribe to the Baseball Betting Podcast with Greg Peterson on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey guys, this is Greg Peterson, host of the podcast Hooping with Hoops. Despite the fact that college basketball is in the offseason, it's never too early to get a jump start on taking a look at these teams because there is now 357 of them for the upcoming 2020-2021 college basketball season. I'm going to give you guys a deep dive on every last one of them, keep up with all the transfers in college basketball, and so much more. You are able to subscribe to Hooping with Hoops on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you get your podcasts. Play like a jet. Play like a jet. Next question comes in from Fergus Bob. He says, everybody's talking about what the Jets may do at backup quarterback, but they did just sign Fails, who Gase seems comfortable with. If they like Fails more than most of the fan base does and they're comfortable with him as at least the short-term backup, do you think it's possible that they could be looking for a developmental project to build into the long-term backup in round six? Yeah, I definitely think that's a possibility if there's somebody they like. I'm not sure who that would be. I don't love the back end of this quarterback class, but Adam Gase may have pinpointed somebody that he thinks could be a potential prospect to mold in the sixth round. Remember, he did that with Luke Falk in Miami. As we all know, it didn't really work out so well, but I certainly see that as a possibility. Remember, a lot of really successful coaches and general managers will tell you that you should pick a quarterback every single year in the draft at some point. And certainly, we know that Darnold is going to go into 2020 as the starter, but we don't know exactly what the long-term plan is to hedge against if something like what happened last year with him having to miss time is. David Fales has to play any kind of extended time, you're in a lot of trouble. That's generally going to be the case with any backup, but if you're a team like the New England Patriots and you're constantly cultivating decent enough backups to get you by, that's a formula for treading water if something happens to your starting quarterback. So I wouldn't be entirely shocked at all if the Jets were to go with somebody around the sixth round that they like as a potential developmental prospect to be the long-term backup. What do you think, Clayton? Anybody you like for that role? Uh, I mean, I'm not a really big fan of the back end of the quarterback class. Like You kind of hit on it. I mean, maybe they take a chance on a Nate Stanley, uh, Cole McDonald, Anthony Gordon. Uh, yeah, and there's not really a lot of big names at the back end, which and really at any position. But I wouldn't be shocked if they took one just because David Fales, like, who is he? I mean, he's been in the league for how long, and he's hasn't really even attempted a pass in the NFL. So it wouldn't be the worst thing in the world to go somewhere else. But 
I mean, honestly, I hope they bring back Josh McCown. I know it won't happen, but that's that's what I'm hoping for. Chris, since they're not bringing back Josh McCown, what do you think? Possibility they go quarterback at the end of the draft? Uh, I, I like the Josh McCown idea. <laughs> I'm, I'm all for the Josh McCown idea. It's not happening, but I'm all for it. Um, yeah, it's a possibility, but I think it's a small possibility. I think even though we're talking about these late-round picks um, – and with the, all the holes that they have to fill, I just don't think Joe Douglas would want to spend one this year on a developmental quarterback. And then you factor in the, uh, Adam Gase there. And whatever Joe Douglas is thinking of him there, he has to know right now. Like, you know, I don't, I don't know exact, how, exact feelings on Gase. And if he's sitting there treating this like, all right, if he doesn't uh, do great this year, I'm going to move on. But he has to know that if things go really bad next year, that he's probably going to have to move on from Adam Gase. So then does it make sense to spend a draft pick on a, a developmental quarterback that Adam Gase likes that uh, we've seen Luke Falk and David fail? It's like his track record isn't exactly good here. And then you have to end up getting rid of him and then bringing in a new coach. And how is that new coach going to feel about that quarterback? Um, so I just, I think it would be a, a, a small possibility at this point. Uh, but when you're talking about, you know, sixth round picks, seventh round picks that there's, uh, you know, it, it's really hard to predict there because it's going to depend on everything else. And, uh, I, I, so I won't rule it out, but I, I, I think I'd be a little surprised if he makes that decision this year, next year, going into the draft, I could see him uh, doing that and maybe even. Uh, being willing to go with like a third or a fourth if they're not, it, regardless of Darnold, even if Darnold goes and has a great season next year, then maybe they'll look to uh, develop a backup there. So I could see that happening probably, I'd say, more likely going forward. Uh, this year, I just don't think it makes too much sense, but it, you know, it's, it's certainly possible with that when we're talking sixth, seventh round. Next question comes in from John McAnally. He says, Jamal Adams has been far less vocal in his recruiting efforts this offseason, at least on social media. How do you read that? I don't really think there's much to read into it. Part of it is probably because of what's going on right now in the world. So maybe he's not as boisterous when it comes to that stuff. I also don't think that they're the type of flashy free agents this past offseason that we saw with Le'Veon Bell. Le'Veon Bell was obviously a star, a household name. There wasn't that type of player that the Jets were potentially going after in the offseason this year. I know a lot of people might think that it means that Jamal Adams is beaten down or that he's not counting on being here for the long term. I don't think that's what it is. I wouldn't read too much into this, would you, Chris? No, I wouldn't read anything into it. And just as a general rule, I think we we read way too much into players' uh, tweets and their Twitters. And what they're doing, uh, you know, every time Robbie Anderson tweeted something, people were trying to dissect it and figure these, these people like to tweet. They like to get on Twitter and they like to tweet stuff. And sometimes they tweet cryptic stuff and sometimes it doesn't mean anything. Sometimes it does. Who knows? Um, I think it's, it's mostly uh, you hit the nail on the head with uh, just the profile of the players who are available. Um, and the Le'Veon, like it was really mostly Le'Veon Bell last year, and we knew Le'Veon Bell was sitting around waiting. He started that super early. I, th- th- I'm not reading anything into that whatsoever. Not, not a single thing. Jamal Adams isn't disheartened because he's not pining for players in free agency, right, Clayton? 
No, I think there's absolutely nothing to read into. And we're not talking to Jamal Adams personally anyway. So, I mean, until we were best friends with him and actually know what he's thinking, I, I'm not going to read anything into it. <laughs> I don't know if I could be best friends with Jamal Adams. He seems like he'd be fun for a while, and then after about a half hour, you just have to put cotton balls in your ears and tell him to take a walk or something like that. A lot of energy there. Love Jamal Adams, but a lot of energy there. Next question comes in from Ed Martin. He says, what are the chances a team like San Francisco moves up two picks to get the wide receiver of their choice? They send the 13th pick in the 31st to the Jets for the number 11, trying to find ways to move down but still get an offensive tackle. Obviously depends on how the board falls. So this goes back to what we were talking about before with putting it out there that the Jets really like CeeDee Lamb or before that that they like Ruggs or the fact that McShay has them picking Jerry Judy. Part of the strategy here might be that they want a team like the 49ers or a team like the Raiders to think that they have to trade up with them or ahead of them, which would mean they could either get a really nice haul to trade back or that somebody that they weren't interested in at the number 11 pick goes ahead of them so that somebody that they do want, one of the tackles, slides into their lap at number 11. Do I think it's possible the 49ers trade up? Sure, it's definitely possible. Remember, they've got a win-now window. They've got a team that just went to the Super Bowl and came really close to winning it. They could use a big-time playmaking receiver, and they're right in striking distance. I don't think that they're giving up the 31st pick to move up. I think you're probably looking at more along the lines of a third-round pick, but it's certainly possible. Again, as you said, depends on how the board breaks, but I wouldn't put it out of the realm of possibility that the 49ers either trade ahead of the Jets or trade up with the Jets, depending on who's on the board at the time and what the potential package would be to trade up. Is that where you're at with this, Chris? You think that it's possible that the Jets could slide back in the right circumstances or that the 49ers could even go ahead of the Jets in the right circumstances to try and get somebody like Lamb, Ruggs, or Judy? Yeah, I'll start with the 49ers part of this. Obviously, I don't cover them. I don't have any inside knowledge of them. But uh, I, them trading up for a wide receiver wouldn't even be, like, slightly surprising. Uh, it would be like, yep, that makes all the sense in the world. Uh, especially go get somebody like C.D. Lamb fit right in that Kyle Shanahan offense. Yeah, that makes all the sense in the world. Um, so, I, I honestly, I expect to, uh, San Francisco to try to do that at some point. Um, unless they don't need to, unless they feel like they can just sit there and with that Colts pick, they can go ahead and take whoever's there because it is possible that they will still have their choices there. Um, and, and yeah, we've talked about this. With, I, I do absolutely think Joe Douglas would consider trading back. It's going to depend on how he has his rank guys set in his rankings and who is still available and uh, who he thinks would be available at the spot where he'd be trading back to. It's absolutely possible. I still think most likely the the most likely scenario for the Jets to trade back would be those uh, top four guys or even top five guys uh, or offensive linemen are off the board. In that situation, I could see him wanting to trade back more and saying, all right, well, you know, now I'm going to accumulate some more picks. Maybe I feel better about uh getting one of those offensive linemen in the second round because I have more picks now. I can take a couple of them. So I, I think that would still be the most likely scenario for a trade back. Um, but, yeah, it, it's definitely possible. It's just it, There's no way for us to predict this now without knowing the rankings and how the board falls. Makes sense, right, Clayton? 
I actually, I'm going to disagree with you guys just from the 49ers perspective. Uh, when they traded for DeForest, uh, when they traded DeForest Buckner for this pick, this was now their second pick in the first 150 selections of the 2020 draft. So they don't have a lot of draft capital as it is. Uh, their next pick is 157 in the fifth round. So I'd be pretty shocked if they were to move up. I think they're more of a team that's looking to trade down to accumulate more picks. Uh, but I, I, I wouldn't be shocked if a team like the Raiders or the Broncos, like w- one of those two teams, try to move up because, especially the Broncos. The Broncos, I think they're in prime position to move up because teams like the Raiders, Niners, uh, could, could take a receiver, and which means they might not get one or they'll get the last of their choice. And sometimes teams don't want that. They don't, they don't want to have to deal with that, so they might be a little proactive and move up to 10 or 11 to get their guy, which we've seen, I, I believe, Lee Schmetta, even in his last uh, mock draft, had the Broncos trading with the Jets to take a receiver. I, I don't think that the Niners will, per se, but I wouldn't, it's not out of the realm of possibility that another team like the Broncos does make that move. That is going to wrap up part two of the weekend mailbag. Gentlemen, thank you so much for joining me. Really appreciate it. Chris Nimbley of JetsInsider.com, Clayton Smarslock of Coast to Coast Scouting. Chris, I'm going to let you go first. I know you've got a lot of stuff cooking over at JetsInsider.com. So what's up over there with you and Nania and your new writer too? Yeah, Nania's got a couple articles up there. It's more uh, grading the early offseason moves. Uh, he's got eight, four parts up there now. Uh, Jack Williams uh, went ahead. He's got a couple articles up to the latest one was about um, how Joe Douglas really needs to get, you know, he needs to n- not play it safe. He needs to get aggressive, get the guys he wants um, and, and knock it out the park. So we, we got a bunch of stuff coming, a lot more draft content coming up leading up to this draft and try gonna, I'm going to lay through all the different scenarios and, uh, you know, see what makes the most sense and what they should be going for. Clayton, what do you got going on at Coast to Coast Scouting? Uh, right now, I'm really just trying to finish my big board. I mean, I, right now, I'm trying to finalize my offensive rankings. I have right now 118 players just on the offensive side. So once I'm done with that, I'll move on to defense and hopefully get this banged out before the uh, hopefully by right before the week uh, the weekend before the draft. Go ahead and follow Chris on Twitter at CNimbly and at Jets Insider. Read his very big deal work over at JetsInsider.com. Follow Clayton on Twitter at CSmars NFL Draft and check out his work at Coast to Coast Scouting. If you haven't had an opportunity to give us a five-star review on iTunes yet, if you could do that for us, we'd really appreciate it. It's an easy way to help out the show if you like what we're doing. It doesn't take you much time. It doesn't cost you any money, but it would go a long way in helping us out. So if you could do that for us, we'd be quite grateful. Also, if you haven't subscribed yet to the Badlands series with Joe Caparoso and Connor Rogers, highly recommend doing that. They've been killing it with their podcast lately, and now Connor's got written content up, including a seven-round mock draft that's just of the Jets' picks, and it's only available on the Badlands feed. So if you want to subscribe, go over to Podbean, or you can go to at Caparoso on Twitter or at Connor J. Rogers on Twitter, and you can find the link there. Thanks again for listening. We'll be back tomorrow. In the meantime, as I said, Check out Clayton's work at Coast to Coast Scouting. Check out Chris's work at JetsInsider.com. And for the latest and greatest in New York Jets podcasts, you know where to go. That's Turn on the Jets Digital and TurnOnTheJets.com.